Last weekend, um, if you were here, I told you that on Black Friday, Black Friday, over $11 billion was spent at all the different malls and shopping centers and, and all that kind of stuff. $11 billion just on Black Friday. And I told you last weekend that I was going to share with you something, just kind of a, maybe a new family tradition that you might think about that I hope that many of you, um, you would take back a lot of that $11 billion and maybe think uh, a little bit differently about your Christmas. And I just want to take a, a, a few seconds. We're told in the, in the Bible that um, these shepherds uh, or that these wise men um, uh, came and they visited the, the baby Jesus. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 2. It says, when they saw the star, when these wise men saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child, Jesus, and his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, why gold? Why did these wise men bring gold? Well, gold was a, a gift of nobility, of royalty. And these wise men knew that Jesus was a king, and kings were worthy of gold. And so these wise men brought him gold. Why frankincense? Frankincense was a, was a costly, beautiful-smelling incense that was used only for the most special occasions. In fact, in the Old Testament, frankincense was kept in a special container, and they would sprinkle it on some of the special offerings, uh, sacrifices that would take place in, in the temple. It was, it was often um, thought of as the incense of the gods, it was one of the ways that you would try to please God was by burning the incense. And so these wise men knew that, that Jesus was more than just a king. They knew that he was God, and so they, they, they brought him these incense. They wanted to please God, if you would. Why myrrh? Well, some scholars suggest that myrrh represents the gift of, uh, of a mortal uh, emphasizing Jesus' humanity. In fact, myrrh was used to prepare uh, for burial. Even the body of Jesus would have been rubbed down with myrrh. So these wise men brought Jesus the gift of myrrh because not only was he a king, not only was he a god, and they wanted to please him, but they also knew that God had become uh, a man. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. So these were the, the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. Gold for his royalty, he was a king, frankincense for his deity, they knew that he was God, and myrrh was to represent Jesus' humanity. Now let me shift gears here and talk about how these gifts could be used this Christmas in your home, okay? Uh, instead of going out and buying a bunch of gifts for your kids or your spouse or whatever, what if you only bought them three? Did you hear that? See, for some of you, it's just like, what? Three. <laughs> For some of you, this is just going to be so radical, it's unbelievable. But I hope God uses it. What we do in our family is, is we'll, we'll sit down and I'll read the story. I'll read the story around our tree. And under our tree, we actually have, for each of our children, they get one gold gift. Each of our children will get one frankincense gift. And our children will get one myrrh gift. Our children are going to get three gifts. And that's all. I will get my wife a gold gift. I'll buy her a frankincense gift. And I'll buy her a myrrh gift. And she'll do the same for me. Now let me maybe just unpack that just a, a, a little bit for you. The gold gift is the expensive gift. Like, like gold. And you tell your kids that... In the eyes of God, they're valuable, that they're made in the very image of, of God. The Bible says in John chapter 1, but to all who believe him and accept him, he gave them the right to become children of God. You tell them that they're a child of God, they're a child of the king, which means they're either a prince or a princess. In God's eyes, they're valuable to him. They were made in the very image of God. And so the gold gift for our kids is really the most expensive gift. 
It's the gift that they really want. It's the Lego. It might be a bike. It, this is the gift that the kids all get excited about, is the gold gift. Because you know what? If you're a king, you get whatever you want, right? And so we tell our kids, why don't you write down a few things? What are some things that you would like? And before they open that gift, we talk about how valuable they are. We talk about the fact that they're children of the king and they are worthy of a gift like this. But then they also get the frankincense gift. And frankincense represents how we want to please God, how we want to get to know God better. You, you tell your kids uh, that, that you want them to know the Lord better. You want them to walk closer with, the God, with God. You want them to become more like Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Peter, like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that by it you will grow into a full experience of salvation. And so the frankincense gift oftentimes might be a new Bible that the kids need. It might be a journal. It might be a, a devotional. If your children are little, it could be a, a, a video series, a DVD series of, of something spiritual. It might be that some of you might want to help pay for your grandkids, maybe to go to the Christian school. Uh, what I got my wife last year was a 12-month subscription to Ravi Zacharias's ministry. So each month she would get her, his magazine. He's a great apologetics uh, uh, an apologist, he, she would get a CD every month. The frankincense gift is different than the gold gift. This represents the fact that Jesus was God and God longs for us to get closer to, to him. It could be a, a CD of, of praise music. It could be a book of some great Christian, an autobiography of some Christian who did some incredible things for God. And then our children, my wife, I will get a myrrh gift. And you tell your children that myrrh was put on the body of Jesus. And the, 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 the Bible says in John chapter 19, following Jewish burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. And so this represents something that would go on the body. It could be cologne. It could be perfume. It might be shampoo. It could be bubble bath. It could be a new pair of pants. It could be a new pair of shoes. It could be a coat. Anything that would go on to the body is what this gift is. And boy, this is your kid's favorite one. Dads, this is the tie. This is the t-shirt, you know. This is the, it's that gift, you know. And so underneath our tree, our children will have these three gifts. They'll have one gold gift. They'll have a, a frankincense gift. And by the way, we wrap them in gold. And frankincense would have been a light-colored um, uh, uh, substance. And myrrh would have been, you know, kind of earth tone colors. And so we actually wrap them in that. And so here are the presents under the tree. And there's three of them. And that's all. And we talk about the significance of them. Now, for some of you, you know, I heard the laughter. Um, you know, Christmas has become such a, a deal in a lot of your homes that cutting back to one gift, man, they're on crack. <laughs> one gift? They'd, they'd, they'd go into convulsions. One? Isn't that sad? Isn't that pathetic, what, Chris, what Christmas has become? We had one of our children who, when we kind of moved this direction a number of years ago, she wasn't a happy camper. <laughs> when we moved this direction, I wasn't a happy camper. I, I like the gold gifts. Come on. What? Only one? I get it. But I'll tell you what, it changed our Christmas. It helped to be way more focused. It was just more weighty. The gifts really meant something. Now, let me just quickly share with you what, what maybe you, you might do with uh, the extra money that you have. Is maybe you would pay down some of the debt that you have on your home. Maybe make, maybe make an extra house payment. Maybe make an extra car payment. Maybe pay down some debt on your credit cards that you have. That'd be a good thing. 
Uh, maybe what you might do if you're married is, in, is, is take some of that money and you and your wife go have a nice dinner somewhere or go to a bed and breakfast and just enjoy being with one another and spend a, instead of spending all this money on gifts that the kids open up and in you know, a week they don't care about them anyway. Inside your program, every year, uh, we give you this little Christmas offering. I talked about it last week. And what we ask you as a family to do is over and above your regular giving, that you would bring a special gift, kind of a gift to Christ, if you would, to the church. And we told you that whatever comes in, 10% of it's going to go to pay down the debt that we have on a building out, out, out here. 20% of it's going to go to a couple of churches that we've identified on the other side of town and we just want to call them up and say, hey, listen, what do you need? What do you need at your church? What's going on? The, the, the family at Big Valley Grace wanted to be a blessing to you. And then the remaining 70% of it's going to go to help purchase the equipment that we need to finish up the park out there for our children's ministries. Maybe you'd have a little bit extra to give to this. I don't know. But there's a lot of things that you could do that would be way more special than just blowing it on a bunch of gifts. And I didn't come up with this. Somebody else came up with it, and we've just kind of made it our, our, own, our own kind of gig. And I'm not telling you you have to do that. I'm telling you, why don't you think about it, and maybe you can come up with some hybrid of it. Maybe instead of just one gold gift this next year, you cut it down to seven. <laughs> and then the following year, three. And then by the time they're a teenager, get it down to one. You know, you just wean them off of, of the gifts, which is, which is crazy when you think about it, isn't it? Boy, we can certainly miss the meaning of Christmas. And I hope maybe this could help you start a new family tradition. Why don't you stand up and let me pray and we're going to continue to, to worship the Lord. Father, thank you, Lord, for a chance to be together here and worship you. And it's easy to sing a song like, May your love be lifted up. But may we actually do that, Lord. May somehow our lives lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as this new season begins, this holy season, God, that you would speak to each one of us, God. I hope that this may be made a difference for some. And as we continue to sing, may it be a pleasing sound in your ear. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I went to um, a funeral on Friday and had my daughter in the car and ended up going across McHenry, and it was just like unbelievable, the traffic. Just, boom, and I went, man, Megan, look at, look at the traffic. And she went, it's Christmas time, you know, and <laughs> just unbelievable, the, the, the traffic, just going down. That take, take you all day just to get from one end to the other. Anybody been to the mall lately? No. Uh. Walmart? Yeah. Target? <laughs> McHenry Village, it's just unbelievable, just the, the people. They're just packed in like, like sardines. But here's something else that I noticed. Not only is there a lot of traffic out this time of year, not only is the mall packed and all these places packed, but it, it seems to me that there's a, there's a tension within the hearts of, of people. There's just a, a tension within their, their souls. You can just sense it as they're driving. You, you sense it as they're walking around in the mall or, or, or whatever it might, might be. But there comes a moment on December 25th, 21 days from now, when literally all over the world, offices shut down. Stores shut down. Gas stations shut down. Restaurants shut down. The mall will be closed. The McHenry Village won't be a soul in it. You, you, you can get to McHenry Avenue and it's, it's just desolate. In fact, at some moment, you know, my family will wake up and We'll have a great time around our tree remembering this incredible moment in history. And then we get in our car and we'll go over to our in-law's house and uh, my in-law's house and we'll have to cross McHenry and I'll get to McHenry Avenue 
And, and at times I'll go, man, did the rapture happen? I got left behind. I mean, there's just nobody, there's nobody there. It's just really, it, it, there's a peace that takes place. And it's all because of the miracle that took place on De- December 25th. December 25th is a day we celebrate a miracle. And I want to take this first weekend here of, De- of December and unpack this miracle for you. I want to lay a, a foundation that I hope will guide you throughout the rest of this holy season. And that's what this is. We are now into a holy season. We, we use the word holiday so often, holy day, that I forget, I think we can easily forget that it's a, a holy, reverent season that, that we're in. Now, the world wants you to think it's about Frosty the Snowman or, or a Santa Claus or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or whatever. But this is a holy season. And I hope that from what I shared a little bit ago to some of the music to what I'm going to share now, that, that this might help you enjoy these next 21 you know, days maybe a little bit better. I want that time around your tree, whether it be with your family or extended family or whatever, to, whatever it is, I want it to be holy. I want it to be something that really reflects what's happening this time of year. And I hope that today this message, God speaks to you. Christmas is a, a celebration of the miracle of God becoming a man. That's the miracle that we celebrate right now. It's the reason why on December 25th, everything shuts down. It's the reason why your home is a different place. Christmas is a celebration of the miracle of God becoming a man. I want you to listen to these words that John penned. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, and you've known him for any length of time, these words that I'm going to read to you, you've read so many times that you can miss the meaning of them. And I really want you to ask the Holy Spirit to to help you catch this. The Bible says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now John doesn't tell us who the Word was. We just know the, the Word was in the beginning when the Word was with God. The Word was actually God. It's not until you get to verse 14 that John tells us who the word was. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word who was in the beginning, the word who was with God, the word who was God becomes flesh in a little town called Bethlehem. Beloved, the miracle of Christmas, the reason everything shuts down on December 25th is the fact that God became a man, the man Jesus Christ, and he, and he lived among us. God actually walked among us. I want you to listen carefully. Jesus wasn't like God. He was God. Jesus didn't achieve some high level of righteousness while he was down here on planet Earth. Jesus was the very embodiment of righteousness. Jesus didn't walk more perfectly than other men walked. Jesus was the very picture of perfection. Jesus didn't become God at the moment of his birth. Jesus has been God throughout all of eternity. Beloved, the miracle of this season is that God became a man. God invaded humanity. It's the reason why December 25th is like really no other day. How many of you remember what happened on July 21st, 1969? It was a huge day. A huge day on planet Earth. Let me give you a couple of uh, hints. It happened at a place called the Sea of Tranquility. Ah, some of you are nodding your heads. Now you get it. Give you another hint. How about this? The eagle has landed. How about this one? That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. 
On July 21st, 1969, Neil Armstrong was the very first man to walk on the moon. The very first human being to step foot on the moon. Now, as big as that was, and it was a, a big deal, it doesn't even compare to what happened 2,000 years ago in a little town called Bethlehem. The word, Jesus Christ, became a man. God became a man. God walked on planet Earth. God walked among his special creation, those of us who were made in the very image of God. Beloved, this is why everything closes down and stops on December 25th. Christmas is the, the celebration of an invasion, the invasion of God to planet Earth. God walked on earth. Now, I need you to pay close attention to what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1. Paul said he, that's Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn born over all creation. For by him, for by Jesus Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things that are visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Now, this is a, a huge theological truth that you need to grab onto. The Bible says that Jesus Christ created the world, which means Jesus Christ did not start in a manger. He created everything. The Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh on December 25th. That's not the beginning of Jesus Christ. It's just the day that God left the glories of heaven and came down here to planet Earth. What we're celebrating is, is the day God invaded humanity. God became like one of us. He became a human being. Now, there's another piece to this miracle. It's kind of a part two. And I don't know which one is greater. I'll let you talk about this on your drive home or, or maybe with your family and your small group or whatever. Christmas is a celebration of the miracle that God became a man for your benefit. And it's an absolute miracle that God became a man. But I don't know what's more of a miracle, that he became a man for your benefit or that he just became a man. The Bible says today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. Beloved, God became a man not for his benefit, but for yours. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit living in perfect harmony, perfect unity, perfect love. And Jesus leaves that beautiful, intimate relationship, and he comes down here. The Word became flesh because you had a need. I had a need. <laughs> That's a miracle. That's why on December 25th, everything shuts down. That's why everything closes up. Is because of that miracle right there. You see, we had a problem, a problem that we had caused by the way, our sin had separated us from God and there was nothing we could do to fix the problem. So God came to fix our problem. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born for you. Beloved, God didn't send us an accountant because we didn't need an accountant. God didn't send us a coach because we didn't need a coach. God didn't send us a therapist because we didn't need a therapist. God didn't send us a lawyer because we didn't need a lawyer. God didn't send us a mechanic because we didn't need a mechanic. Beloved, God sent us exactly what we needed, and that was a Savior. And the reason we needed a Savior was because we couldn't save ourselves. Now, I want to make sure that you get this, okay? 90... 
8.3% of you understand what I'm gonna share next, but there's a, a small percentage of you here over in the venue, maybe you're listening online at home or whatever, and I wanna make sure that that small percentage of you really understand this. This is, this is just critical. John gives us some really imp uh, important information as to why God became a man in 1 John chapter three. Listen to what the word of God says. The Bible says, he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has always been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason God comes to a little town called Bethlehem, the reason the Word became flesh, here it is. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. Now, I know what some of your questions are. What's the work of the devil? Most of us know. But it's really important that you understand what the work of the devil is. Otherwise, this Christmas season doesn't mean anything to you. It's just a time when there's trees and lights and presents and songs. So I want you to understand this, okay? What was the work of the devil? Well, we have to go back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, to figure it all out. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter one and two how we all got here, how the world got here, how the planet got here. The Bible tells us that God created everything. And then there came a moment when he created the first two human beings. He created Adam and Eve. And I believe that, though, that, that that's an absolute historical fact. I don't believe it's a story or a fable or a myth. I actually believe that God created the earth, that God created all the plants and trees and bugs and all the animals. And then there came a moment when God created human beings. He made Adam. He made Eve, and we were made in his image. And the Bible says that God placed Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden, and said, Adam, Eve, it's all yours. Enjoy it all. I'm going to take care of every need that you have. You and I, we're, we're all going to have this incredible relationship with one another. And when you have children, we'll have an incredible relationship with your children. And when you have grandkids, I'll have an incredible relationship with them. This is going to be fantastic. Adam, Eve, all of the people that will come from you, wow, this is going to be fantastic. Adam and Eve, the only thing I don't want you to do is just don't eat from this tree in the middle of the garden. That's all I'm going to ask you. Then you get to Genesis chapter 3, and it's important that you understand this. Genesis chapter 3 says this. This is the work of the devil right here. It says that the serpent, that was the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die, the devil said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman, Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She disobeyed God. She sinned. She also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was right there with her. And he ate it. He disobeyed God. He sinned. The eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Beloved, the, the work of Satan was that he tempted Adam and Eve to sin against God. And they did. They sinned against God, which then brought sin into the world. It's, it's why everything is so messed up in the world today. At the very moment Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sinned against God, it messed up everything. It brought evil into the world. Now listen, I know some of you are going, well, I don't believe that. It's okay that you don't believe that. Everybody in this room at one time or another didn't believe that. There was a time in my life I didn't believe it. But at least you understand how Christianity handles the problem of evil. You see, we have an answer to why there's evil. 
We have an answer to, to why people do wicked, evil, crummy things. We have an answer as to why you do the evil things that you do, the evil things that you think, the evil things that you say. You don't have to agree with what I just read, but at least you've heard how Christianity handles evil. It all starts in the Garden of Eden where mankind blows off God. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. You see, all of us, you know, I got a grandpa and I got a great grandpa and a great great grandpa and a great 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 grandpa, a great 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 grandpa, a great 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 grandpa, great 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 I could literally trace my lineage all the way back to Adam and Eve. They were the very first two human beings on planet Earth. And the Bible says that one of the things that we've all inherited from Adam is a sinful nature. The Bible says for all have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. It's one of the things that we've inherited from Adam. The reason why... Uh, you know, we do some of the evil, wicked things that we do and think some of the evil, wicked things that we think can be traced all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve decided that they were going to sin against God. We've all blown it. We've all disobeyed God. We've all said things we wish we hadn't said. We've all said things we wish we hadn't, you know, or done things we wish we hadn't done. You may not believe in God, you may not believe in the Bible, but every one of you here knows that you've thought evil things and you've done evil things. You've stolen, you've lied. Every single one of us have done that. I've just explained to you from a Christian worldview as to why you have those thoughts, why you've done those actions. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's past to follow our own. That's basically what happened in Genesis chapter 3. God said, here's the path, Adam. Here's the path, Eve. Live this path. Go this direction. It's all yours. I'll take care of you. We'll have an incredible relationship with each other. I'm looking forward to having a relationship with your children and your grandchildren. This is going to be fantastic. But Adam and Eve said, no, I'm going to have my own path. I'm going to do it my own way. And they, they forged a new path right to that tree that God said don't eat from. And Isaiah says, guess what? We've all done that. God has laid out a path for our lives, but we've all chosen to go a different route. The prophet Jeremiah put it this way. He said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Beloved, the, the world is messed up because the human heart is messed up. When you look at all the crummy things that people do to themselves or to each other, it's all because sin has stained our hearts. I was just thinking as I was studying this week about all the crummy, evil things that people do to themselves. Sticking needles in their arms, shooting their veins full of just crummy drugs that goof their bodies up, make their teeth fall out, hair fall out, die before they're supposed to die. Unbelievable what humans will just do to themselves. And then you begin to think of what human beings will do to each other. The evil will perpetrate on each other. What a grown man will do to a child. Unbelievable. You can trace it all the way back to what took place in Genesis chapter 3, the work of the devil. You see, the world would want you to think this. The world would say, you know what, we're all good. Some are just better than others. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're all evil. We've all sinned. Some are just more evil than others. Not everybody in this room is Charlie Manson. Not everybody in this room is, is uh, you know, Hitler. But let me tell you something. Anybody who would stick six million Jews into furnaces and light them up is evil. They're not good. That is evil. Sirhan Sirhan, evil. 
The Bible clearly teaches that Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, oh, it messed up everything. We're now all evil. Some are just more evil than others. But the story gets worse. Not only did sin mess everything up down here on planet Earth, but it also brought with it a huge consequence. Sin brought God's punishment upon your life. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 34, the Lord forgives people for evil, for sin, and for turning against them, but he doesn't forget to punish guilty people. Isaiah 59, the prophet put it this way, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and he's not going to listen to you anymore. And because we've all sinned, we all stand guilty before God, which means every one of us is going to be punished by God someday. Every one of us will be eternally cut off from God. Beloved, sin is a horrible thing, a horrible thing. And as I've said many times from this platform, all sin does is destroy. That's all it does. It destroys relationships. I'll bet almost every one of you in here had a relationship with a buddy, a friend, a college roommate or something, and something happened, right? And you're no longer friends with them anymore. You know what it was? It was sin. Something got in there and messed up that relationship. Sin messes up marriages. You know the reason why some of you are divorced? Some of you have divorced twice, three times, five times, six times. You know why? It's sin. Sin got into the marriage. Pride and arrogance and selfishness. Sin destroys it. It destroys families. It destroys churches. It destroys cities. It destroys nations. It, it destroys civilizations. And for some of you, your sin is destroying you right now as I speak. It's destroying your will, it's destroying your hope, it's destroying your mind, it's destroying your values. Sin leaves a hole in your heart that nothing can fill. Now people try to fill it with all kinds of things, like sex, like adultery. Uh, they try to fill it with popularity, they try to fill it with you know, hobbies and sports, or they become workaholics, you know. It's amazing all the things that people try to fill the hole with, but none of them work because that hole was meant to be filled with only one thing, and that's God, through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Sin is an ugly, ugly thing. And some of you I know are wrestling around with this idea of sin, I don't think that. Well, let me tell you something. Do an experiment. Put two three-year-olds in a room with one ball, and guess what you'll see? Sin! Selfishness. I want the ball. No, I want the ball. I want. And there are only three. There are only two. Man, sin is just a destroyer of things. It's amazing to me. I've done this for 30 years here at Big Valley Grace, and I've seen all the things that people have tried to fill the hole with. And now it may give you, you know, a temporary relief for a moment. But God made you in such a way that that hole was only supposed to be filled with a relationship with Jesus Christ. The work of the devil was he tempted Adam and Eve and they fell for it. And it brought sin into the world and it destroyed everything. It brought the punishment of God upon us all. Now what exactly is the the punishment of God, what does the punishment of God look like? Well, look, I'm going to let Jesus just kind of walk us through it a little bit, okay? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said this. Jesus said that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's Jesus, when Jesus comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he's going to sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations, that's people, will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, when that was written... In the first century, that would have made a lot of sense. In our 21st century culture, that, that may not make a whole lot of sense. But in that culture, shepherds would have sheep and goats, and, and the shepherd would, you know, 
you know, kind of keep track of them all, and the sheep and the goats would be all mixed together. But there would come a moment, usually at night, when the shepherd would, she- would, would separate the sheep and the goat, goats. There, were, there was a time when they needed to be separate, and the, and, and the goats would be on one side and the sheep would be on another. And so as he's telling the story, as Jesus is telling the story, it made perfect sense to these people. I'm putting it in, into its context now for you. So Jesus says, there's coming a day when I'm coming, I'm going to sit on my throne. And I'm going to have all the people in front of me. And just like a shepherd separates sheep and goats, I'm going to do the same thing. And he goes on and says this. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then the king will turn to those on his left. Then Jesus will turn to those on his left. Away uh, with you, you goats, you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the demons. And then they, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus tells us about this place. It's called hell. And hell was designed... For the devil who tempted Adam and Eve, hell was designed for the demons. God had had made a special place for, for, for the devil and the demons. But once sin entered the world, now we had a problem. Sin had separated us from God. And now there's going to come a moment when those goats, those um, those people that haven't dealt with their sin are going to end up in a place that God never wanted them to go to. It's going to happen. That day's coming. Now, if I were to end the story here and told everybody to go home, you know, you'd think to yourself, man, why did I come here today? Merry Christmas. <laughs> Dude, this is a bummer. <laughs> well, obviously, the story doesn't end here. You see, this is where Christmas comes in. This is why everything shuts down on December 25th. There's a reason why December 25th is an incredible day. You see, Christianity recognizes the problem that we as humans have, the problem of sin and the punishment that it brings upon our lives. Christianity recognizes the, 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 the problem of, of sin and that, that, that it's had on our, our hearts. Uh, Christianity recognizes that because of sin, the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Christianity recognizes that all of us are trapped, we're prisoners of our sin, that we're all in bondage. Christianity recognizes that there's nothing we can do to change what sin has done. We recognize that. How? Because the Bible says that today a Savior has been born for you. Not an accountant. Not a pastor. Not a therapist. But a Savior has been born. Somebody who has come to destroy the works of the devil. Christianity says, I've got some good news. I got good news. You see, one of the things that I think most of you don't understand is this. Yeah, you you hear about all the songs and, you know, you hear about a Savior and you hear about Jesus and he loves you and all that kind of stuff. You hear the good news, but the reason why it doesn't make any sense to you is because you don't understand the bad news. If you don't understand the bad news and Why do you need the good news? If you don't understand the bad news, then why do you need a Savior? In the world that we're living in today, the the enemy's out there making sure you don't understand the bad news. You're good. You're just good people. Good people all get to go to heaven. People, listen to me. There's bad news. A few years ago, I preached a message. I think I'm going to resurrect it next year, and it's called The Dark Side of Christmas. You see, there's a dark side. Sin. It's destroyed so much. I can guarantee you every single one of you can stand up and talk about how sin 
has destroyed some part of your life. Every one of us. Even those of you who don't believe the story. Sin has impacted your life. Christianity says, I got some good news. Yes, your sin has messed up your relationship with God, but God has sent you a Savior. God has sent you a Savior, Jesus Christ, who's come to destroy the works that the devil perpetrated on us in Genesis chapter 3. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. Beloved, listen, that's why Christians literally all over the globe come together and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. That's why. That's why in 21 days our town is going to be a different town. 21 days the mall will be shut down. 21 days McHenry Village will be shut down. 21 days McHenry Avenue won't be a car on it. God said this to the prophet Ezekiel. God said, I'll give you a new heart. Praise God. I can't give you a new heart. Your parents can't give you a new heart. I can't take you into some room and get you a new heart. My heart's goofed up, but God can give you a new heart. God can do it. And not only that, he says, I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart, your sinful heart, your crummy heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. I want you to know, I never get tired of telling people this story. Never. Never. Because in every hour, people have walked into that altar room and they've given their life to Christ. And I know that God has opened the eyes of some of you right now. I know it. I just know it. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to what God's doing in your life right now. See, we couldn't fix the problem that sin brought, but God could. He has the power to give you a new heart. He has the power to forgive you of your sins, which then would nullify the punishment that sin brings. Now, let me quickly give you three thoughts as it relates to Jesus and his coming. These are Three gifts, if you will, that Jesus brings. Number one, Jesus brings you the gift of truth. Boy, in our culture today, don't we need that? In John 18, Pilate said, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Truth about what? Truth about ourselves. Number one, because we have a hard time understanding ourselves a lot of the time. The world will tell you you're good. The Bible says, no, you're not good, you're evil. You've fallen short of God's glory. We needed Jesus to come and tell us the truth about our lives, as hard as it may be. Truth about God, because there's lots of misconceptions about God out there today. Unbelievable, all the lame things that you'll hear about God. Don't find any of them in the scriptures, and boy, did we need truth about who God was. Truth about life, because there's a lot of phony philosophies out there that lead to dead ends. Some of you are following those phony philosophies today. And Jesus came to bring you truth. It's a gift, it really is. Jesus said in John chapter eight, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Beloved, if you don't build your life on truth, you build your life on a foundation of faulty information then. And when you do this, you're going to go through your life making bad decisions. Now let me tell you the greatest truth that you'll ever hear. Listen to me. Focus right here. Forget about the notes. Forget about them. Look, look at me. Let me tell you the greatest truth that you will ever hear. You matter to God. You matter to God. When you were in your mama's womb, he put you together just the way you are. You're made in the very image of God, and you matter to him. That's the greatest truth you will ever hear. You matter to God. You matter so much to God that he left his home in heaven and came to earth in the form of a baby, grew up. He lived a perfect life and died on a cross, was resurrected and went back to heaven and now says to you, hey, do you invite me into your life? Let me cleanse you of the sin of your life. 
Let's have that relationship that I've always wanted to have that the devil screwed up. Boy, that's a great truth. The second gift that Jesus came to give you is this, and that is Jesus brings you the gift of life. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that the thief, the devil, only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And boy, don't we see that in Genesis chapter 3. That's all he comes to do is mess up your life, destroy your life, destroy your family, destroy your marriage, destroy your teenagers, destroy your parents. That's all he does. But Jesus says, I, on the other hand, have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, why did Jesus say this? He said this because most people aren't living. They're simply existing. <laughs> Thank God it's Friday, you know. You know, I never have that feeling, really. Oh, man. Whew. Thank God it's Friday. No, no. Not when you know Jesus Christ. Not when you're walking with Jesus Christ. Not when you know Jesus is inside of you and your sins have been forgiven and he made you for a purpose. He made you with significance. I'm a part of the greatest cause on planet Earth. Doesn't matter to me whether it's Monday or Tuesday or Friday. Or, it doesn't matter to me. But I see so many people, you know. Oh, man, it's hump day, you know. Oh, I wait till the weekend, you know. Most people get up in the morning, go off to their jobs, come home, eat dinner, watch television, and go to bed, and they do this over and over and over and over again. And Jesus says, oh, no, I've come to give you a life, a greater life than that. And the third gift that Jesus brings you is the gift of salvation. In John chapter 3, listen to the very words of Jesus. Jesus says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The reason why the word became flesh wasn't to bring condemnation. The reason a savior was born in Bethlehem wasn't to bring condemnation. That isn't why Jesus came. He did not come, listen to me, he didn't come to bring condemnation. You know why? He didn't need to. You were already condemned. Your sin had already condemned you. He didn't need to come and bring condemnation. That's not why he came. He came to save the world through him. That's why he came. You needed a savior. You didn't need anybody to condemn you. You'd already done that on your own. Your sin. Jesus comes and says, I came to destroy the works of the devil. I came in a little town in Bethlehem to be your savior. Because that's what we needed. The Bible says that in heaven, that heaven's a perfect place. There's no sadness in heaven. There's no sorrow in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no problems in heaven. There's no pressures in heaven. There's no sin in heaven. Heaven is an absolute perfect place. Absolute perfect that means that nothing imperfect can go to heaven. We got a problem, right? Because if God let you in or I in, guess what? It wouldn't take long before heaven would be like this place. You put anybody imperfect up there, put two or three of them together, and guess what? You now have a place that's not perfect anymore. So the only way we're going to make it into this perfect place is somehow we've got to become perfect. And the Bible says that when we receive the Savior, when we receive Jesus Christ into our life, you see, he was perfect. He was holy. He was righteous. He was God's perfect son. And when we receive him into our lives, now the Father looks down from heaven, and he doesn't see my sin anymore. He doesn't see the crummy stuff in my life anymore. Instead, he says, hey, countryman has my, my son in this life. And my son was perfect. My son was holy. My son was righteous. And the brightness of Jesus' life in my life blinds the Father to my sin. That's what a Savior does. A Savior comes into your life and saves you because you couldn't save yourself. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a great guy, I'm not. 
I am very much acquainted with my sin. I get to heaven because I've invited Jesus Christ in my life, the Savior, and the Father sees that I have his son. And I could say, well, God, I got all this sin in my life. And God says, I, I, don't, I don't see it, countryman. I don't see it. All I see is my son. And because you've got my son, Ooh. come on. We, got, we can have a relationship. I don't know how you got here, listen, but it wasn't my accident. Thousands of years before you were born, God knew you'd be at Big Valley Grace on December 4th. And let me tell you why he knew you'd be here. He got you here because he wanted to tell you something. He wanted to tell you, you matter to him. He wanted to tell you, yes, your sin has separated you from him, but he sent you a savior. He sent you Jesus Christ. And if you'd accept his son, you and him could have an incredible relationship again. Now look, I'm not talking about a religion. You may be Catholic, you may be Protestant, you may be Jewish, you may be Buddhist, you may be Hindu, you may be a Baptist, it doesn't matter what you are. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. You could be a member of this church, and being a member of this church doesn't get you into heaven. God doesn't look down and go, oh man, there's a Catholic, they're going to heaven. Oh, there's a Buddhist, they're going to heaven. Oh, there's somebody who goes to Big Valley Grace, they're going to heaven. No, none of that gets you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is the Savior. That's what it is. It's the Savior, not a religion. Nothing wrong with being Catholic. Nothing wrong with being a Protestant. Nothing wrong with being Jewish. Nothing wrong with coming to Big Valley Grace. But none of those things will get you into heaven. Not one of them. God didn't say in the town of David, a religion, a denomination has been born for you today. No, he said a Savior has been born. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe that there are some of you right now, you want to receive Christ. This is what I want you to do. Just bow your heads real quick. Just bow your heads. And if you're here and you're going, wow, I, I get this, man. I get it. And I need Jesus Christ in my life. This is what I want you to do just in the quietness of this moment. And Saturday night, last night, last hour, if you're over in the venue, there were people in the venue. If you're in the venue, look, and you want to know Jesus Christ, you want to invite the Savior into your life for the forgiveness of your sins, I just want you to pray this prayer. Just say this in the quietness of your heart, and you've got to mean it. Just say, dear Jesus, I understand why you came. And I receive you right now into my life as my Lord, my Savior. Cleanse me of my sin. I want to start a relationship today with you. Now, while your eyes are closed and heads bowed or whatever, if you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand for just a moment that, that, I, that I could see it? Yeah, a bunch of you. Yeah, a bunch of you up there. Make, make sure I see it. Just look at me when you raise your hand. Yeah, cool. Cool, yeah. Yeah, really. Beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Over there. Yeah, I got you back there. Bunch of you. Okay, everybody look up here real quick. Here's the deal. That's just... Okay. Here's the deal. Um, last hour, I had a chance. We have a room right over here called the altar room, and those doors are going to swing open, and another door is going to swing open, and it's a beautiful room, and I'm going to go into that room. And I, I, I just want to meet you. And, and I want you to meet me. And I just want to hip, hip, hooray the decision you've just made and maybe give you a couple of thoughts as to what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't have a Bible. I'll, I'll give you your first Bible. This church family, man, we love to hand out Bibles to people. We love to give people their first Bible. And I want to do that if you don't have a Bible. But if you really understand your sin, you really understand how your sin has separated you from God and you really understand that it took a savior to save you, Jesus, if you really get it, you'll give me five minutes in there. And if you're over in the venue, all you gotta do is walk out of that room and Pastor Jeff Pishney will tell you how to, how, to, how to get over there. And just give me five minutes to meet with you, talk with you. 
I'll give you some information about some things. It, it, it won't be long, but it's important that you do that, okay? Why don't you stand and, and let, me, let me pray, and then I'll meet those of you that made decisions over in the, in the altar room. Father, thanks, Lord, for this morning. I, I've just really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the music all weekend, God. Wow. That's great music. Thank you for the choir and the orchestra being with us all weekend. God-honoring music. There's nothing like it, Father. I'm very grateful, Lord, for um, your word and how it explains this thing called life to us. And Father, I think, Lord, you opened the eyes of quite a few, probably 20 people or better. And I pray, Father, that they would just take another five minutes, make their way into the altar room. Thanks, God, for being good. And somehow use what we've done here today, Lord, to really lay a great foundation as we head into this Christmas holy season. And may it change the way we go about our lives, our Christmases, our families, all that kind of stuff, Lord. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen.